Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we got episode four of the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports podcast. Hopefully a new updated audio that we have going on here. I have the honor and privilege sitting next to the two underdog sports volleyball champions. Mm. Boys, I did not get to watch this glory. Tell me about the bloodbath that you guys engaged in last night. It was a hard-fought battle. First first game, we had, we had uh, a semifinal game first. Dusted them, easy money. That was no problem. Trash. They were trash, yeah. Uh, second game, the championship, was uh, a little more trying. They definitely were a better caliber opponent. Yeah, I think going into that, I think we all kind of thought that they were in the... Uh, a different tier level than us um, watching them. We hadn't played them yet during the season, and so they had a lot of tall tall guys they could hit. And uh, the first game, they, they took care of business against us. Yeah, they dusted us in yeah, the first game. first game, they, they killed us. They had one dude who was just controlling the game and going spike town on us. They were, they were having a great time, dancing, singing, having fun. But game two came around, and I think uh, Luke started off the game with a couple couple serves to lead us off, and uh, we, we got an early lead and kind of held on to that and ended up dusting them in the second game, which was which was great. I was pretty fired up, hollering about uh, who's having a good bleeping time now. And then game three was back and forth the whole way. We can't, We came through at the end. Luke had a couple big spikes. Matt had a couple of big spikes in there. I was setting up a storm. It was it was a good time. You know, I'll say I think uh, the real the pivotal pivotal moment in the match was in match two or the game two was when uh, I learned afterwards that I was incorrect. They had like seven people on their team, so they had two subs at any time. But they had one girl in particular who was like keeping score. She was playing, but she was always, like, calling out the score, which is normally what I do for our team. Like, I always have the score, and I always, like, say it out loud to make sure. And uh, I was wrong, as I was informed afterwards. But I got the score mixed up, and she called it out, and I was like, she's like, 15 to... 21. 21 or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's 14. And she's like, no, it's 15. I was like, no. And I think I was a little... I was like, no, it's 14. And she's like... And then she's like... Oh, okay. They were rattled after that. <laughs> yeah, didn't mean to. I actually, I, I was just wrong. I, I thought that it was fourteen, and then afterwards, and I was just like, no, they had fifteen. You were wrong. It got in their heads, and I think that was the turning point in the match. Is it because they were having fun, they were dancing, then they were losing, then it kind of got in their head with the score, and then I think they were they were thinking about the score, not thinking about the game. Yeah, took it like we were winning that one. Like I said, it was twenty one. Yeah, we, we took it to him in twenty one fourteen, and then we ended up, you know, winning by a lot. And then Luke and I both had big service r- rallies in that game too. So we kind of got out to a lead and just held on to it. Game three was game three was tight. It was it was a 
fun matchup. Crazy scrappy plays too. Um, Sarah, one of our one of our uh, gals on the team, she she had I think she had two of them in that game. She might have had one in the second game too. But the one I I remember was I think it was game three. The dude who I was talking about earlier smashed one hard, and it went off her chest. And I was in the front row, and I just like chest punched it and I got a fingertip on it it went over and like got line and I think it was, like, it was game changer because they, they'd gone like two points in a row on us and then get another bump set spike that should have gone down and then it's like momentum turned and we were just kind of firing through after that and right after that is when Luke was serving again too so it was like we instantly went back ahead and then just never looked back so uh, underdog champions baby let's go no asterisks <laughs> and Nigel, the other thing too is that you had a, a big birthday. Yeah, the big, the big three three. Hey, and that's your lucky number too, that right? Is, that is my that is my number. That's one of them. That was Nigel's uh, baseball number, yep. if I recall. Yep, my my thirty three year is coming up, so it's going to be a big one. For, Second uh, for golden Poppy. birthday. Yeah. Exactly. What's the uh, what's the plan for the for the weekend? Um, what are we doing? We're 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 still figuring that out, but we'll be we'll be hanging out maybe in Belltown or something. Uh, come out, come out, say hi. You know, I love to see all your smiling faces. All tell them how he's wrong on the sports me. takes. Yeah, tell me how tell me how horrible I am on my sports takes. I'd love to hear it. All right, it's time for the uh, Monday morning meeting. Need a recap from the so-called experts? It's time for a Monday morning meeting. All right, so the Monday morning meeting is going to be a recap of what we talked about last week. These are going to be new segments that we're throwing into the uh, upcoming episodes and obviously into this episode. So for the recap of the week, let's talk about our conversation last week regarding the Sounders. Boy, was I right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave this off since I was there. Um, my brother and I, Axel, we went to the went to the game on... I guess it was uh, two Sundays ago, the opening game. And Sounders had a dominant performance and ended up winning 4-0. But the best part about that, if you recall from, and go back in the back in time machine here, um, I was talking about how Sounders didn't really make many big signings. There's a lot of question marks with some of the guys this year. And, of course, every single one of their signings, including my quote finger signings, uh, Jordan Morris and... Christian Roldan both scored goals. The new the new guy Haber he scored a goal. He's also scored a goal in the second game, so he's off to a great start. So you know it's a long season. Time will tell, but off to a good start for the Sounders. I think a lot of people are are excited. Their midfield looks really good. Jao Paulo's back and healthy. He looks he looks good. He kind of erases everything. So far so far looking good. You know good start for the Sounders. Yeah, I saw that. Uh... Haber? Haber? Hebert? Hebert? I like Hebert. Yeah, I like So I'm going to call him Hebert. But uh, I see I saw today that he, what, he's the first Sounders player since Freddie Montero Ooh, to score a goal in each, a of his, in each of his first two games. So I don't know if that kind of production is going to hold out for the rest of the year, but, but it's pretty good, encouraging. It's good to know that you have a backup striker because Rui Diaz, is, he was working back in in the last game. 
starting to get healthy. So it's good to know that you have someone that's capable as your second second tier guy that's going to get some looks. And what we know from Rui, he's going to miss some time here and there. He's a small guy, and like he shouldn't be playing every single minute of every game as it is. So it's nice to have a bigger guy, big head, big head, <laughs> big, big star, big, big head, big star, big target, shiny, polished head. Yeah. So shout shout out to the uh, the bald folks out there. Yeah, and I don't want to pat myself on the back too much because was, it wasn't even a ringing endorsement, but I did call out uh, Alex Roldan by name. Yeah. How, at least by MLS standards, like you can find guys like that that can be quality players that can come in and especially play like a right back or left back position and got another assist. Yeah, or was that his yeah. first assist? I, I'm trying to remember. Did he get an assist in I the first game? I think he got game? an assist in the first game as well. But he definitely had one in the second. Yeah. Uh, really nice delivery to a bear, right? No, it was Jordan Morris in the second one. Oh, it was Jordan Morris. Yeah, it was Jordan right. Morris right. scored right. on the second one. Also, yeah. yeah. Jordan Morris with two goals to start off the year, too. said, too, is that uh, this all would have changed about our conversation heading into the Sounders match to start the season if I knew that Jordan Morris had dyed his hair blonde. Yeah. Because that's, like, the biggest game changer is that, like, now he's a player. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I, Axe and I... Uh, we're talking about that as soon as we saw him walk out on the field. It's like blonde hair, different guy. He's I thought he was Ladera at yeah, first all, when he put in that ball to start. Yeah, all hair team. Like he's got bad soccer hair. That means guaranteed star. So um, couldn't read more on that. And last thing I want to say, I want to say on this is that we talked a little bit about the uh, kind of Sounders strategy going forward and how they were going to look a little bit with some of these guys back. Kind of interesting. And again, Axe kind of filled me in on this wish we could have had him on the pod for that week because he was more in tune with it but this year they're kind of putting or keeping um new who back a little bit more they got they've got albert Ruznak moving into down that left wing now because Jao paulo's back and playing more of that defensive role so you have roldan going down one wing plus i guess both roldan's going down the right wing and then you have Ruznak moving in down the left wing as that more attacking winger and, and then Jordan Morris is able to move inside and be more striking presence with it. So, so far, it's we, early. But... We kind of touched on that, too, that yeah. Ruznak, like, obviously he was a big signing when we got him. He didn't really get to play the role that he wants to play last exactly. year because Zhao Paolo was hurt, so he kind of got more defensive. Yeah. And so, through two games, that's pretty encouraging that, like, they have the shape of their squad that they want. Yeah, they kind of they move into like a three man defense when they're when they're attacking, and Ruznak moves moves wide and and goes in a little bit as well. But it, it allows Jordan Morris to move in and be more of like a striker feel inside. So I think I think it's two games, two games, so six far. points. Yeah, so far so good. So um, no goals given up. So defense looks fine so far. All right, well, there you go. There's your uh, recap of the week for all three uh, soccer fans that listen to the show. <laughs> now you have all of your soccer news. Okay, let's jump into the water cooler talk. Oh, my God. Did you hear what happened? What's the big idea? The national headlines are in. Entertainment news. It's time for the water cooler talk. Water cooler talk is going to be the national headlines for each week that we're gonna we're gonna riff on. So I've been completely 
in the dark with everything that's been going on with sports this week. So you guys are you guys already carry the show as it is, but you're going to be carrying it even more. I have no idea what's going on. Let's just jump right into it. The one thing that I do know about that we get to break news. We have breaking news that our podcast gets to announce. Sean Kemp has now been has he been arrested? He's been arrested by Pierce County for looks to be a drive-by shooting attempt at least or maybe it was a full-on drive-by shooting we'll we'll see but what's your guys' take on that yeah i mean there's limited information at this point it sounds like there was a drive-by shooting i don't think assuming it was sean kemp that's the suspect that they've arrested that that's what they got but didn't hit anybody with any shots is what i saw but somebody did a drive-by shooting at the tacoma mall and he was their suspect and he He's has been, been arrested for it not good that would be <laughs> there's there's my hot take that, that's a great take i'm not yeah i'm not a lawyer i'm not a judge but i'd say that uh typically you don't want to be uh arrested in connection with a drive-by shooting especially when um nigel can speak on this more but he either recently did or was about to open up a second pot shop he already has one that's kind of in the lower Queen Anne, Belltown, yeah. kind of in-between area that seems like it's pretty successful. So he's been doing things. Yeah, and, and then I I don't know the, if it's actually open yet or not, but I did see that he was opening one, and him and Gary Payton, because Gary Payton apparently has a, a weed strand that he, that he uh, sells, or his namesake at least is on it. And so the two of them were going to be down opening his new store. If it if it hasn't happened already, it's in the next week or two, I would imagine. So sad news, you know. It, you never want to hear hear about uh, anybody getting arrested and, and getting into things like that. So it's it's unfortunate for sure. But I guess time will tell. Let the process let the process play itself out. But hopefully, you know, hopefully he is. Uh, just a suspect and not not actually involved. We'll, I guess we'll see what happens. For all you kids listening out there, this obviously shows the effects of marijuana. <laughs> this yeah. is what it'll do to you. I've watched enough t- Tucker Carlson to know that <laughs> this is what happens when this, you engage in any kind of marijuana business. <laughs> this is why John Moran needs to take a note out of out of this book. You you get into an altercation, you have a gun, things get a little heated, you do something stupid. Even if you don't hurt anybody, it could possibly lead to, to horrible ramifications for you. you. The guy's obviously way past his prime now and not a, not a superstar in today's age. But it just goes to show if you, you, know, you find yourself in a bad situation, you make a bad decision, it can really affect you poorly. So, like, What are you doing? Yeah. What are you... Well, I guess <laughs> that's all... You're, that's, that's you're my a only... business mogul, apparently. Not. I mean, you're... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't understand. That's my only it's like, what are you doing? There's, there's a short list of reasons why you would ever need to act like that, and I don't know that any of them are even that justifiable. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you have enough going for you. I don't think, I don't think you need to put yourself in that type of position. Couldn't agree more. You're at the mall. <laughs> yeah. You know, it almost it out the Tacoma Mall. First one. off, you shouldn't be at a mall ever anyway. You're a grown man. Stop that. But. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. But if you are, don't be... Don't be uh, Dude, the mall's where you pick up chicks, all right? That's true. You're... He's the rain man, okay? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to go to the mall to pick <laughs> up chicks, correct. all right? I'm staying correct. Listen, I only specialize in bird law, but I can see that this is probably not going to work out too well for him. <laughs> but Like Nigel said, I, I, for his sake, I hope that it's a case of mistaken identity. Although I don't know how you mistake I mean, a 6'10", yeah. 6'11", large human that looks very much like... Sean Kemp, <laughs> you know, like there's not a lot, pretty like, unmistakable guy. Yeah, there's not, there's not a ton of people that fit that profile. I think. Yeah, I guess that'll be a TBD. Maybe that'll go into the recap next week. All right, Jared Kelnick, hidden bombs in spring training. I hate to say I told you so, but uh, well, okay, I, I think it's told a too you soon. so. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jared Kelnick. Best player on the Mariners, hands down. Easy to see uh, from the start. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's a good start. You, I, I'm happy to see it. I hope it continues. You know, it, it sounds like from what I've heard, the I think I think the good news is that he's hitting these bombs to opposite field and center field, which I think is a positive thing for his swing, at least because he's kind of seems like he's always been a pull guy. Like that's where most of his power has been. And so the fact that he's he's hitting oppo bombs, it's against spring training pitchers. You know, pe- guys are working on stuff, so I don't know that it says a whole lot. But we know the guy has pop. If he had, you know, if he's if he can come out, and I think he needs to come out at the beginning of this year and be hot to, in order to keep his job. So if he can kind of keep that momentum going and take it into the season, I think it's going to be huge for him. So I hope the guy continues down that path. I hope to hear that he hits another bomb this spring. Man, if he can really pull it together, though, I mean, him and Julio together is a yin and yang, a little bit of fire and ice going on. Man, that's a deadly combination. If he, if he, that's what you need in a baseball team. If you can get a guy with a little bit of fire, a little bit of anger, then a lucky go guy like Julio could be a fun team to watch this year. Oh, see, I was going to say the opposite, because he'll be ice when he's not when he's hitting zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, I do think, like, it's obviously better than the alternative, which is not hitting at all. But, like, kind of going back to what I said before, it's like, he's he's a 4A baseball player at this point. Like, he's he always rakes in AAA, and when he gets to the majors, he hasn't really proven anything. And honestly, spring training, in my mind, is like kind of the epitome of what 4A baseball is. You have guys that are on the 40-man roster. You have a smattering of guys that are going to be on major league rosters. And guys who are going to be in AAA and probably will get called up and like be in spots. But like, it's basically the closest you can get to what they say is 4A baseball. And that's what he is. Too good for AAA. Hasn't proven he's good enough for the majors. So... And so he's proving it. That's what he is, and he's doing well, and that's great. And like I said, it's better than the alternative, which is not hitting at all, not hitting any power, and hitting opposite field bombs is obviously a good sign of like where his swing is at right now. But I'm obviously not going to crown him right now. Yeah, way too, carry, way too early. But... Carry that momentum. And I'd say the same thing, honestly, is that if after this he goes, you know, if he hits 200 the rest of spring, I'm not going to put that much weight into it because it's spring training. Like, you obviously want to be hot and be swinging a good bat going into the season. But even if he struggles for the rest of spring training, I'm going to say the same thing. Like, season restarts at opening day. Yeah. So you have a chance to, you have a chance to 
change the narrative, like your batting average is still zero on opening day. So I wouldn't condemn the guy for hitting a slump in spring training, and I'm not going to overly praise the guy for having a, a good start to spring training. But it is encouraging. Like I said, it's better than the alternative of not hitting well at all. I think he just needs to have... I just we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like I think he just needs those positives, you know. And so him hitting, starting off spring training well, like he seems like the type of guy that's going to feed off of that. And so I th- I think that him him hitting a couple bombs that just is going to boost his confidence level. It's spring training, of course. We're not crown yeah. You, like I said, we're not crowning him anything, but he needs to, he needs that momentum. Do you guys know what pitchers he's been facing when he's been hitting this? Because he's sure. been in the starting lineup for spring training, so he's probably still seeing starting pitching. I mean, you're not seeing it, you know, mid-season pitching. You're still seeing guys that are trying to break off the rust, even if they are, you know, a higher tier pitcher. But, I mean, that's also a positive, too, is that it's not like he's playing the bottom half of these games. He is in the starting lineups for most of these. So Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't know who he's facing, but at the same time, like, I'm watching a guy like George Kirby go out there and get shelled in his two innings. Yeah. I'm not worried about that guy. He, he's loosening his arm up and getting ready. So, like, just as I'm not going to take too much stock in Kirby getting shelled in one and two-thirds innings, I'm not going to place a lot of value in a guy like Kelnick raking, even against starting pitching, because, like, it's early. So... This Jalen Carter story, I don't know much about it. You guys want to kind of give me a breakdown of what's going on with this controversy? Sure. It seems like I haven't heard much updates on it since it kind of first got broken, but the bones of it is there was somebody who was part of the staff and another offensive lineman, I think it was the player, who died in a car accident a couple of months ago couple months ago right after right after the national championship game like a two yeah probably late january something like that yeah and so obviously it was tragic look into it and kind of now more of the details have come out and at least from what i understand is what they're kind of saying now is that it sounds like they were kind of racing in the streets while intoxicated and jalen carter was driving the other car that they were dry, that these people were speeding against, and they obviously ended up crashing and dying, and that's tragic. And now Jalen Carter is has a couple misdemeanor charges, obviously for driving <laughs> too fast and engaging in what they're calling racing. And I think on top of that too, from what I understand, is that I guess uh, I don't know how to comment on this, but he was obviously he at the scene. The, left the scene. He was yeah. at the scene of the crime, was there for a little bit, left, probably when the cops showed up, and then was told to come back, came back, I think as far as I know, and don't want to be crass, but it probably helps his cause, is that I don't think he ever had a blood alcohol test conducted, which is probably especially why it's a misdemeanor. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, he's tied up in this thing, and it's obviously tragic and not a good look. I think Fault shifted to his draft stock unless something changes from at least what I've read. I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock That's, that too was, drastically. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make. I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock if it, or barely if at all. I think he's 
and it, it's kind of it's kind of tough. I'm, it, I think you have to know more about it, but calling it racing, I think that can mean a lot of different things. You know, it's street racing. Is it a couple of buddies driving too fast? Probably. Definitely, yeah. Too furious? Yeah, too fast, too furious. They're family, okay? <laughs> no, but is it a couple? Is it a couple buddies that were driving too fast? Probably. He shouldn't be driving drunk. Obviously, you're about to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. That's Not a, good decision that's making. A, that's a horrible. Obviously. Yeah, that's a horrible idea. But I think that. Again, like we said with the Sean, Sean Kemp thing, you gotta you gotta wait for all the details to come out before you really make a true judgment on it. I'm sure that the NFL um, folks are gonna do a lot of due diligence on on their end to to make sure before they're making a top five draft pick on him that he's uh, innocent or at least because he claims to be innocent, claims that he will be completely. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Exonerated. Exonerated of all of his charges. So, you know, hopefully that's the case. You'd hate to see a kid with all that talent go, you know, not get drafted or or go to jail or worse for um, something right before he's about to have such a life-changing thing. So, for everybody's sake, I hope that uh, the tragedy ends where, where it's already at now. Yeah, in either case, it should be stressed probably to be kind. Is that it's a horrible situation in the real victims, is it? It's not J- Jalen Carter's not the victim in this scenario. Yeah, it's the people who lost their lives. And like, even if even if you get intoxicated and you make bad decisions, you know, you hope that it doesn't end in the loss of life. So that's kind of sad. Not kind of. It is sad. But Jalen Carter's not the victim in this situation. Yeah, I think he'll do just fine. And you can feel whatever way you want about it, but yeah. he's not the one who really lost anything well, here. And that so. was, and that was the other thing, is that there's no, there's he can't be suspended. There's no, because he's not technically in the NFL yet. He can't. There's no like ramifications that there. He's so, not part of the NFL yeah, PA. Exactly. So he's not part of the NFL PA. So I would think that based off of his talent, like it or not, he's going to still be drafted in the top five. Regardless of what comes out from it, I hope for everyone's sake that he's unless he's going to jail. Yeah, unless he's going to jail, and I hope for his sake and for everyone else's sake that it's a case of a clearly bad decision, but not something where he, you know, put his friend's life in danger or hit their car or something, you know, something like ran that. Ran off the road. Ran him off the road. Anything like that. That would be very tragic or add to the tragedy that already has happened. Derek Carr off to the Saints. Would you guys have, would you have guessed that one? I didn't see it coming necessarily, only because I feel like the whole narrative was more around the Jets. But at the same time, I've kind of heard people talk about this since then. That like seems like the Jets were kind of using Derek Carr to try to probably stoke the fire under Aaron Rodgers because that's obviously their prime target. I don't know. That makes sense to me. Like <laughs> he looks like he looks like the best quarterback in the division. Day one, that's not saying much because there's nobody down there playing quarterback. Unless you think Kyle Trask in Tampa is a real is a real competition for best quarterback in the division. I think it's a good landing spot for him. Also, um, well, head coach of the Saints now, Dennis Allen, former Oakland Raiders coach, coached Derek Carr. So you have a little bit of rapport there. Um, so it, I think that makes a little bit of sense, but 
I don't think Derek Carr is a horrible quarterback. He's just kind of one of those dudes that falls right in the middle, you know? He's like, he's, uh, why can't I think of anybody's names right now? Kirk Cousins. He's, because it's midnight. Yeah, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's Kirk Cousins, you know? He's like, he's, he's slightly above the average. He doesn't wow you, but he gets the job done. The Saints have a good defense. They have a they have a good running back. Maybe he steps do they? Up. Yeah, I guess we don't. Yeah, we don't know this. Speaking of legal issues, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, not true. to switch the script, but Alvin Kamara has much multiple, more serious. Yeah, I yeah think. multiple allegations going on with with uh, Alvin Kamara. But as it stands, he is still. He has not not been. Uh, if he's on the field, he's yeah, one of the best in the league. Yes, so exactly. You definitely so, have talent. Yeah, you have a talented running back. Whether or not he's there in uh, twenty for the twenty twenty three season yeah, uh, remains to be seen. But the, the team the team has some talent. They I mean, they trotted out a broken version of Jameis Winston in one games. So I, I think with Carr, this, they stand a chance. Lamar Jackson gets the non-exclusive franchise tag. Seems like there's a lot of controversy in that. Again, I have been really out of the loop, so you guys have to walk me through this one. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird deal. They, I, I, for one, I think it's a pretty rare uh, franchise tag. It's been around for a long, it's been around for a long time. I believe I saw today that only one person has, or one one player has ever had another team. Um, like pay the or close the deal on someone that had that franchise tag and because it's it's odd in that you um, have to give up two first round picks in order to including signing the player which is just seems so out there but I, I understand why the Ravens would do it that part makes sense to me but I I'm sure I'm sure that uh, Lamar Jackson is not very happy about it and as it stands, it's been a couple of days now since they've since they've placed that tag on him. No one has uh, no one has reached out to him yet for any for any contract negotiations. So I, I've seen a couple of players saying there's collusion going on there. But yeah, it's a it's a weird situation going on with Lamar Jackson. Does he have any option to get out of it at this point? No, that's part of the franchise tag deal. Is that unless he unless he holds out, I, he can hold out for the entire season and then. And then I think he can be back where he is now, but I don't believe he has any other option other than to show up, take the take the thirty seven million or whatever it is, or he has to have another another team come to him and give him an offer, and then this then the Ravens have the opportunity to match that offer, and then they can sign him. Or if the if the team that gives the offer. Um, if the Ravens don't want to match it, then that team has to pay Lamar Jackson and give up two first-round picks. Is my understanding of this. So, kind of a weird, unique one that I don't hear about too often. Yeah, I think the Ravens have gotten a lot of flack for it, but for multiple reasons. But honestly, I, I think it's the right move. And like to honestly track back on like what I said on episode one, is that like. I think it just kind of falls into the camp. You should just treat the quarterback like a rental car. And like, they kind of just ran him into the ground, did their thing, and it's like, I, from what I've heard is that Lamar Jackson, who's his own agent, wants a fully guaranteed contract. 
And I don't blame him for wanting that. But why would you give that? Why would you give a fully guaranteed contract to a guy who also has missed, I think, five games in each of the last two seasons? And he's a running quarterback. But it's like, and on top of that is that I'm kind of just playing off the top of my head. He's also an MVP, though. He is an MVP, but I'm kind of playing off the top of my head here. But from what I remember is that he had... 36 touchdowns and like seven picks in his MVP year. And then he went 20 something and under 10, right under 10. And then like 17 and 16, something like that. Like he hasn't been nearly the player since his MVP year. And injuries play a part of that. Poor talent around him at the wide receiver position. I saw Rashad Bateman and the and the owner getting in some scuffles about how they haven't had an all-pro receiver. Like, that's obviously an issue, but, like, it's kinda, it just comes with the territory. It's like, you're a running quarterback, you're going to get hurt, especially because he doesn't show an ability, much like Russell Wilson has, at least, to avoid contact. Slide. Get down. Don't get hurt. So I don't know why you would want to give that guy guaranteed money, even if he is one of the best players. In the NFL, because he is. I, I love Lamar Jackson. I saw him play live. There's one like he's went to a Seahawks game when they played against him, and like he's electrifying. Like he's awesome. But I, like if he was the Seahawks quarterback right now, and we're in that same position, I wouldn't want to give him guaranteed money because that guaranteed money might just go to somebody who's not playing for you because he's hurt. Going back to what you said a minute ago too, I just I don't think it's a good idea that he's representing himself. I, I think if he had an agent. They would have come to an agreement. He'd be make he'd be making more guaranteed money, even with paying his agent, and he'd have and he'd have a contract for four or five years, and it would be a done deal. And instead, he's he's being stubborn. He wants it all guaranteed. He's trying to negotiate himself. Guys have done it successfully, but I I don't. I, I, not everyone can yeah, do not it. Not everyone can do it. I think it takes a particular type of person and. I think that a lot of the guys that have done it have missed out on have missed out on money at the end of the day because it's not what they do. It, you know, it's there's a reason there's a reason that you you pay for these services is because this is these these people's livelihoods and they understand all the ins and outs of it. And, and so I've I've looked at the I've looked at the the like CBA agreement before from for. Um, for the NFL, it's like a you know, it's a multiple hundred page document. There's a lot of ins and outs to these things, and so I think that it's a little ambitious of him to to try to go go about it by himself. Oh no, it just sounds like you're getting paid by agents to promote their business, <laughs> right? Okay, so let's just pay let's me. Just, let's pay just relax. Me. You sound like you're an agent of the NFL that wants to keep their money in their pockets. Okay, so let's just relax a little bit. I think a guy can negotiate his own contract to a point, but <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unsuccessfully, you for, can do it. for a for a franchise tag. All right, boys. Well, I think we're forgetting about one big major signing that happened with the Seattle Seahawks, our very own Geno Smith. Geno! Grab your tools and hard hats. Time to head over to the local chapter chat.
Yeah, so I saw that too, and not gonna lie, when I first saw it, I was like, "Wow, that is and shocking, absolute <laughs> dog shit contract." And obviously, we've got to cover this before. Is that uh, we all like Gino, but we're not we're not on the pay Gino lots of money bandwagon. I was on the Drew Lock uh, bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, you still can be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just like anything. That report comes out, and I've had a chance to look at it a little bit more. And from my understanding of it, is that it's a three-year base salary of twenty-five million a year, with only forty million guaranteed. So basically, by the time he starts the first game, twenty-five out of the forty million dollars is already hit. Yeah. So then he only has fifteen million guaranteed after year one. Right, yeah. and so there's so there's another thirty million dollars of incentives in the contract. So, what those incentives are, I don't know. I haven't seen them published. It's probably start a playoff game, maybe win a playoff game, finish top ten and MVP votes or whatever. It could be. It could be a ton of different things. Probably things similar to what he did last year. Yeah. Right. Finish in the. Finish in the top five in completion percentage. Maybe, I don't know. Hopefully it's not that specific because that's where you get guys that then start to do things that make their contract pay out, like audibling out of a run so that you can get an extra touchdown pass. I don't know. But I think when you first see that report, it's like, my God, what are they doing? And then you see it a little bit more and it's like, okay, this makes more sense. This seems like the type of contract that you can get out of. After basically one year. And I don't really have a problem with Geno being the starting quarterback next season. Yeah, completely agree. It's It, it was definitely jarring. You see that number, 105 to start. But and the, and the $52 million in the first year, I think, was the was the figure, right? And so that sounds like a lot. But once you once you hear the details, $30 million in incentives, not as, not as bad. Still not not at all what uh, what I would prefer because I think that that money could be spent elsewhere. But you do need a quarterback, and I think that that uh, it answers a lot of questions for for one what what the future is going to look like for the Seahawks. And like you said, it's it's uh, it seems like it's easy to get out of. You you have him for a year and or two. And you can get out of that contract. You don't have to don't have to pay him anything else in those final years. So, I'm, you know, mid. I'm in, I'm in the middle on it. I don't, I don't really. I don't think it was the worst signing. Twenty five million a year. I think that's about what we were talking about the a couple weeks ago as a number twenty to twenty five that it'd be you know on the fringe of what I'd be comfortable with. And so I think that that's you know they kind of hit that mark. So I think that's. Yeah, I was hoping for closer to 20. Yeah, I think we all were. Yeah, closer to 20, but it's also the NFL in 2023, and quarterbacks just end up making a lot of money. I'll be curious to see what those incentives are and if they they ever release them. I don't know that they they need to release any of that stuff. They they usually, at the end of the season, they'll have a few of those that, that are kind of fun where it's like, you know, they need... 12 more completions in order to get a million dollar bonus or they're, something. They're so. fun, they're fun uh, gambling stats. Yes, Because exactly. it's like yeah. Gino needs 33 completions in the last game in order to 
get a $500,000 bonus. Yeah. So lay the lumber on the over on completions this week <laughs> yeah, because exactly. you know Gino's going to be check on. down city. Baby. Yeah, he's going to yeah. audible out of every single run and throw a check down so that he can get that $500,000 bonus. Yeah, lay or uh, play Tyler Lockett in fantasy this week because he's getting 12 catches for 16 yards total. <laughs> so, <laughs> all zero routes, baby. Yeah, so it's I, I think it's a I think it's a fair contract for everyone. Is and, kind of what it seems like. It, I'm happy to hear that it's very incentive laden and not all guaranteed money. Yeah, so, and I think as far as I understand, a lot of times those incentives don't necessarily count against your cap. Yeah, I don't it, know where the cap lies on each year based off his cap hit, but I think that's more important when thinking about a contract for Geno's. Where does your cap hit lie? Because and I think you don't want to be... that falls on this season, this upcoming season, which is why it's front loaded with that fifty-two million. Is the largest part of the cap hit is this year. So Gino's your quarterback this year. That's fine. That was probably always going to be the case. And then yeah. going forward, it's low cap hit, but you can you can either hold on to hold on to him or dump him off. And also, I think. Something to note. I think Gino can be a good coach for uh, for whoever the Seahawks end up drafting, whether it's this year, next year. I think he can be a guy that'll be a a decent role model. We've talked about it. He's a good locker room guy. So hopefully he can be one that uh, will be able to coach the next guy up. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I'm not in love with it, but at the same time, if there's a time you're going to do it, you just drafted a ton of players last year that are under rookie contracts and you have a ton of draft picks in this draft class. So you're in a position right now where you probably can load more cap space into one player. That's going to change quickly, but like you're going to have a lot of young players on rookie contracts. You just can't have that cap hit extend past this year or definitely two years from now. And it seems like they have a contract that was able to figure that out. The other thing I was going to add too, is just that, if he does hit all those incentives and he does so if he does hit every incentive he gets the 52 million right that's how it works is that what they what I think that's what they're advertising so, yeah. yeah so it's 25 million base and at least in year 1 yeah he has another 28 million probably incentives that he can hit this year yeah. i mean if he does hit all those incentives mm-hmm. that means that's good news for the Seahawks so yeah. at that point there's no complaining sure. about the contract <laughs> are you recording that yeah i'm recording this oh I didn't we're live. That. Oh, I didn't realize you started that up. I thought you were just riffing. No, I'm not riffing. We're we're live, baby. We're live. We're on the air. Do you think this? Do you guys think this could possibly be a future route for more teams in the NFL to be more incentive based with their quarterbacks? Because we've seen a lot more higher contracts, you know, fully guaranteed deals here or there. But maybe we're taking a step back now and trying to get more performance out of these guys. I think that a lot of teams already do incentive-based contracts with guys that are in Gino's situation, like kind of question mark guys. But does it happen a lot with the quarterbacks? Yeah, well, I I don't know that it happens all the time, no. But I, th- I think of Colin Kaepernick off the top of my head, which is obviously almost a decade ago now, but he had, I think it was a very similar deal at the time. It was like right around $100 million, you know, 30 40 million 30 million a year and then the the actual details of the contract come out and it was actually he's actually making 
18 a year, 18 million a year guaranteed or something like that, and the rest is incentive based, and then he doesn't live up to those incentives, they don't have to pay all that money. So I don't think it's a as common, but I think that guys that there's a little bit of a question mark, I think they're already doing some of that. Yeah, I think NFL owners and GMs obviously want more contracts that look like that. Uh, to rope back in like Lamar Jackson is that that's the problem though is that if you have a quarterback that is a former MVP and is a guy that by most people's account is basically guaranteed to be a top five or at least top ten quarterback any given year no why would if you're that player why would you ever take an incentive laden contract like yeah I have the numbers I don't need incentives yeah you should be incentivizing me to be your quarterback Gino was a nobody for his entire career. You have to take a contract like that. You've proved you've proven for one season that you're half a season. Yeah, well, you've proven for one season that you're at least a middling quarterback. Yeah. So you do have to gamble on yourself, and that's what he's doing. Still to the tune of twenty five million guaranteed. Yeah. Or or twenty five base salary, forty million guaranteed. That's a good contract. So he's going to make more next year in one season than he's made in his entire earnings in his NFL career. And again, $17 million in earnings up until this year. He's going to make twenty five next year. That makes sense for a guy who has nothing really to show for his career through the majority of what he's played so far. So that makes sense. Guys that actually have a resume and have proven, even like Derek Carr, like... People are kind of like saying stuff about Derek Carr. And even hear people saying, it's like, would you take Derek Carr or Geno Smith next year? It's like, well, I don't know. Derek Carr has put up 10 seasons of Geno numbers, yeah. and Geno's put up one. Yeah. So who do you think is – who's going to have the better year next year? Could be either one of them. But if you're a there's, gambling man – If you're a gambling man, you'd probably guess that the guy who does it every year has a better chance to do the same thing he's done for 10 straight years – then a guy has only done it once. Yeah. So, like, guys like Derek Carr, and I don't even know the details of Derek Carr's contract where his guaranteed money, I thought it was closer to 60 or 70 million guaranteed. Because uh, he had a hundred four year, 150 is what it was advertised, but I think it's 60 million guaranteed, something like that. But, like, so obviously that makes sense, though, right? Because it's 70 million guaranteed. 70 million guaranteed. Because he's done it year in and year out. He's, he's been a starter his entire career. And he's done it every year. A guy like Gino, you kind of have to bank on the fact that somebody, and the Seahawks are the ones who, are, who did it, is going to give you kind of a prove-it contract, and you still are making good money. $25 million is still nothing to yeah. shrug at. But, like, I, I don't think that's going to be the norm for any quarterback that has years and years of stats that say, like, I can get you 25-plus touchdowns, 10-ish or less picks a year. And like and then the going rate is probably going to be closer to 30 or 35 million a year. So, yeah. It's not a horrible deal for the Seahawks, but it's still more than I would have wanted to see. The good news though, I think is that this falls right into like Pete Carroll's like step into my web. He wants the guy that wants the incentive laden contract. Like that's that's always compete. Exactly. He's in if Gino's drinking the Kool-Aid which from all indications, he is. You get a guy that's on an incentive-laden contract that he can he stands to make another twenty-five, twenty-seven million dollars this season. If anybody can pull out the best out of him, I think it's a guy like Pete Carroll. So 
maybe maybe Gino has the the year of his life and Seahawks have a, have a great season. So I think the big question that goes along with this now is how does this affect the Seahawks draft? I think that drafting a quarterback in the first round is entirely out of the question now. In my opinion, disagree. <laughs> but I'll let you finish. Um, but I think there's a small chance. I think at this point you you look for a value a value guy in the second third round, Hendon Hooker type. <laughs> it's a throw out a name. Someone that someone that might slip to the second or third round that still has uh, some throw out a name. That was the name I threw out. Okay, okay but well, either way, someone someone that's going to be a that's not going to be a first round guy that maybe has first round type of talent and and can sit sit back for a year and be be a guy you know in future years for the Seahawks maybe they don't draft any quarterback this year I don't know they got to have someone on the on the on the uh, roster though because Drew Locke at this point is not signed if I'm correct so they've got to they've got to draft someone I'll be curious to see if uh if that falls in the second, third round, or if they they go elsewhere for it. Yeah, I'd have to imagine at this point they don't have any intentions on keeping Drew Locke. I think now it's going to be drafting a quarterback for the potential future, let Geno potentially be the mentor, because I don't know if you see Geno Smith with the Seahawks any more than those three years. I think this is the last run for him. Yeah, definitely not. Absolutely. Definitely not more than three years, unless he goes out there and does something wild. Yeah. So you draft your quarterback now, let him get into the system, let Gino hopefully ball out a little bit, and then the future comes in. See, it seems like everyone's given uh, Anthony Richardson his flowers now, but, you know, let the record state that I said that a long time ago, and I'm not going to back down from that, is that I still think that the Seahawks, and I'd almost argue that this type of contract only makes me feel stronger about the potential of them drafting AR-15. With the fifth overall pick? Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, every mock draft I see now has him, if not the first overall pick, which I think is still pretty wild. I don't think that's going to happen. But definitely going top five and no later than top nine. Yeah, well, I mean, he was the big winner of the draft. Everyone found out, if they didn't know already... Of the combine. <laughs> yeah, sorry, of the combine, is that... The dude's the biggest freak in in, uh, in this class. And yeah, I knew that a long time. Yeah, ago. exactly. That's well, why I was saying it. Yeah, that's why that's why I've been saying it for weeks. Now, but I think you time. you heard it first on the Bring Your Lunch Pail uh, Sports Podcast. That's, that's right. right. What I'm saying though is that I think that this type of contract, in my mind, only further cements the ideas that exactly it's like if if you value him that high, and I'll go into why I think they might actually value him that high, is it. Now you have Geno Smith basically on a one-year deal in some regards. AR-15 probably isn't ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL year one. Go draft him. Sit him behind Geno. Let Waldron install the offense into AR-15 for a year. And then next year, I could already, I could already see the, the press conference when they have AR-15 and he sat behind him. Like, and that'd be like, What's your quarterback? What's your quarterback situation going to look like? You know, and Pete's going to get up there and be like, "Oh, you know, that's oh, 
That's a great. Oh, that's a great question. Like you know, we, you know, most teams they don't have one quarterback. We got two. You know, and like, it's gonna be a great competition. You know, they they got two arms and four legs between them, or four arms and four legs. <laughs> and you know, always compete, always compete. You know, yeah, they each have a robot arm, so that doesn't count. Exactly, robots, they're so. both strong arm guys. You know, they can make all the throws. And uh, but. <laughs> But so I, I actually think it's kind of a chariot situation that it's like he's probably not ready to be a day one starter. Gino can take care of that for year one. And kind of like you started to say, Tanner, is that I do still think it might be a little pricey because even if it's 15 million guaranteed, probably 25 million for his base salary, obviously, for the next year might be too expensive. But he does seem like the type of guy that can be a good mentor for Anthony Richardson. And you you build him into that spot. Like I actually think it's more of a chariot situation now that drafting a quarterback. And maybe it is a Hendon Hooker or somebody else in the second or third round. But getting a guy who you think can come in and slot as maybe a starting quarterback next season, or not next season, but year two. Yeah, I I actually think it has just as much potential as it did prior to signing Geno. So didn't we see something maybe 10 years ago similar to the situation with a Matt Flynn being signed for a deal that made everyone think that he could be the starting quarterback? And, oh, in the third round, Russell Wilson gets drafted and becomes the dude. I I think we see something similar there. I think that's a really good point, Tanner, and I thank you for agreeing with me. But that was a third-round guy, not a fifth overall pick. I think that the Seahawks' plan at this point, since you've signed Geno, is that Shane Waldron's offense, as Luke said a few weeks ago, any Joe Blow can go in there and go run it. You know, it's a you had Jared Goff running running that offense, and that guy, even though he's a first overall pick, especially in his early years, was not the not the most talented of quarterbacks. I think in the NFL, so why not go and bolster the rest of the team? Go pick. Uh, go bolster your defense. Go make go make big picks on your D line and and get get all those holes filled. And then find that second, third, fourth round guy that can go in there and be your Brock Purdy type. That's gonna go and hand the ball off and go hit, go hit his checkdowns and and be you know run the offense effectively. Obviously, I agree because I I said it with you a couple weeks ago that. Anthony Richardson would be electric, and I think his ceiling is. He has his, no ceiling. Yeah, his his ceiling is astronomical. I, if he if he can throw the ball in intermediate and short routes and learn how to do that, his ceiling is is out of the out of the building because he it's Cam Newton. It's you know it's MVP plus because he can run. He can if he can throw and hit his guys. It's it's going to be great. But he also has shown at Florida that he can't do do some of those things yet. He's definitely a project. Yeah, he's he's looked bad like he in in some of those games. You look at the highlights, it's amazing, but some of those some of those throws that he's made are are downright bad and yeah. they look like you know, high school caliber. I mean, so, it's it's a it'd be a risk, but if they draft AR15, I'm not going to be upset by it. But I don't think I'll be ecstatic about it. But I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I mean, I agree. I mean, the guy only played or started 13 games in college, so he's definitely a raw product. But I think 
the thing that sticks with me with all of this and why I still have like a lot of hopefulness, I guess is the word. I don't know. There's probably a few words that they might take somebody like AR-15 is that, and we've talked about this before, Nigel, is that uh, not to go too far down a different rabbit hole, but the start of the breakup between Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and Russell Wilson started when it's been confirmed by all parties too, is that the Seahawks wanted to trade Russell Wilson to the Browns for the number one overall pick when Baker Mayfield was picked because they wanted to draft Josh Allen. That was the start of the divorce between them because once Russell knew that, obviously there's tension and I don't blame Russell for that at all. Like I'd be pissed too if I was a franchise quarterback and like, you want to trade me for the first overall pick to draft a different quarterback? But what, all I take from that, like with this draft in mind, is that they saw a guy like Josh Allen, and I think he's a good comparable because raw talent, athleticism, arm strength, things like that. And you can see that in AR-15. You see all of that. They clearly covet that type of athleticism, and they were willing to trade Russell Wilson for the first overall pick to draft him. So why wouldn't they use their gifted fifth overall pick that they got for Russell Wilson to get a guy who they probably are grading out similar to Josh Allen out of college? That's where I see the pick. Like, it's still a bold pick. Like, I, like I'm not going to not gonna go to the bank and, like, pull out all my money and go bet that they're going to do it. I just, like, I see so many parallels to that. They're willing to get rid of Russell Wilson to get Josh Allen. So you got rid of him, and now you're gifted a fifth overall pick, and you have a chance at redemption to go get Josh Allen, air quotes. The, the Seahawks love test tube babies, okay? Exactly. <laughs> so they love, you, they you love had, that profile. You had, you had you have um, DK, who is the biggest guy to, to ever run under a 4-4. Do you run under a 4-4? largest, tallest guy that's ever done it. You have Tariq Woolen, who was the fastest guy in the in the uh, combine last year. They love test tube babies, and so I think that you know, adding adding another another guy that's just an absolute uh, combine freak is definitely not out of their uh, realm of possibilities. It's time for the lunch whistle special. Two chunks of bologna. A pair of Wonder Bread slices, a moist layer of mayonnaise, all mixed in with a little bit of lettuce, cheese, and tomato. Who gets your honorary bologna sandwich of the week? Lunch Whistle Special, let's go. The Lunch Whistle Special is going to be... Alright, let me start off by saying this. There's nothing better in this world than two slaps of white bread... With just a little bit of that cheap cheddar cheese and a little bit of bologna slapped in the middle of that. Maybe add a little bit of lettuce. Good amount of Cool Whip mayonnaise. Everyone loves that. So, with that said, we are giving out our honorary bologna sandwich of the week to the dude or girl that we think is just do like... That. Do that. That did something awesome this week. They got our attention. So, I'm going to throw this off to... Who wants to take it first? Me. I do. Lucas got it. So, I I heard this on the radio when I was coming home today. I didn't have anybody in mind until last minute, but I think this one is perfect. Is that uh, I didn't have a chance to watch the game because obviously I was playing volleyball last night. 
but the Kraken played Anaheim Ducks last night. And I heard this story of our guy, Vince Dunn, in the game. So this is what I heard from the story. Didn't see it, so I don't have the full details, but this is my bologna sandwich of the week guy, is he gets he gets like an elbow to the face during the game. I think I heard Hackstall on the radio talking about it too, is I think part of it is that he ended up hitting himself with his stick in the face. And I'll fast forward to the end, which is he's in concussion protocol right now because of this hit. So it obviously was a big hit. He gets hit, no foul is called, and he is livid about it. And he ends up getting a minor penalty for it by bitching at the ref. And so I'm giving it my bologna sandwich to Vince Dunn this week because, as the kids would say, it was giving me at church league basketball <laughs> that, that, a, that a foul occurred and he bitched at the ref so much that he had to go into the penalty box. And when he was fully concussed. When he was fully <laughs> concussed, yeah, that's probably more intense than anything I've experienced yeah. is being fully concussed and arguing with somebody. Um, but, yeah, that's my kind of guy. Like, didn't get the foul call, so you instantly go and bitch at the ref. He also is now going to be in the concussion protocol and probably miss, you know, I don't know what their concussion protocol looks like, to be honest, but he's going to probably at least miss a game. So, I don't know. Really reminded me of a younger me arguing with the referees, and I got a lot of respect for that. So, that's my, that's my dude of the week. All right, and uh, my my dude of the week is kind of going to be a dudes of the week, I guess. Uh, so, quick backstory: I went to my uh, cousin's baseball game this past weekend. Um, he plays for the Columbia Basin College Hawks. <laughs> Go Hawks! <laughs> yeah, and so uh, he, for one, I'm going to give him a partial bologna sandwich. He went out there, hit two doubles for. Uh, for me, for uh, me and Luke, we both went out there and watched the game. It was a good time. Uh, his his team won. Little Jack Baker. Yeah, his his team won both games. And or Will uh, Baker, sorry. Yeah, Will Baker. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So Will, yeah, the the uh, first bologna sandwich goes out to Will Baker. Uh, he uh, he had two doubles, uh, a couple ribbies. They won they won both their games that we went and watched, which was uh, which was great. But my secondary bologna sandwich goes out to the best nickname that I've heard in quite some time. And this is for uh, one of their players, Gavin Matson. Uh, he's a redhead. Got got some flowy red locks. He's got the lettuce coming out got of the back the, of the hat. Yeah, got the lettuce coming out of the back of the hat. And they called this dude Cheddar Dog. So shout out to Cheddar Dog. That's my uh, secondary bologna sandwich of the week. Gavin's also uh, he had a pretty good game too. I think he was hitting right right in front of definitely one. game one. Yeah, game one he had a good one. So that was a lot of fun, including um, uh, he had a pick on the last out. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was playing first base. He had a big big pick to end the game. They had a double play to end it. Um, so yeah, good good game overall. A lot of fun. Uh, shout out Columbia Basin College Hawks. Let's hey, go. if I can give a quick other little you know maybe a side pickle. <laughs> on this baloney sandwich <laughs> is uh I don't know the kid's name but he was playing first base for uh Pierce yeah is that uh you know I went to this I went to this community college game and I wanted to see a dinger 
This guy was a Daniel Vogelback type. He delivered. He mashed a ball. In the eighth inning, they're down four to two. Yeah. Pierce Pierce was the Columbia Basin. And he absolutely mashed a solo homer. Uh, I don't have the measuring tape out, but if I was going to eye it, I'd say it was probably 380, 380 plus. Like, there's trees out there in left field, and uh, the wall's 324. He put it like half, three quarters of the way up into the tree. Cool. Also, also noteworthy is that he he smashed that, walked down first baseline, and threw a filthy bat flip in front of my cousin's team's bench uh, on the way around first base. Disrespectful, but so, we love that. So sick to we love that. Absolutely. Yeah, so, that was pretty cool. So was, I don't know, I don't know the kid's name, but that was a pretty swaggy yeah. home run. Also noteworthy, uh, Pierce College is uh, where. The Jim Moore uh, radio radio guy in Seattle, pretty prominent. Uh, both of his twin kids play there. Saw Jim Moore out there. Saw his kids. So it was good to see my cousin's team. Yeah, I didn't see any hits from Jim Moore's kids. <laughs> yeah, but... exactly. It was good to see them beat up, beat up on him. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Good time this weekend. Hope to get back out to a game soon. Community college uh, baseball. It's making baseball fun again. That's right. Yeah. All right, let's go to town hall. You got burning questions? We have fire answers. Now, we don't know this. Let's grab the talking heads. It's time for Town Hall with the Council. All right, Town Hall is going to be our new fun way of doing the Q&A sesh with the Council. We have the two talking heads here. Here, here. This is the time that you listeners throw out your questions to us, and these boys will answer. They'll deliver. So, let's dive into these questions. I'm looking at them right now. All right. We got one from Vinny. Old Vinny is asking you boys, which is, or what was your most embarrassing sports moment for each of you? (laughs) I wish I had time to prep. <laughs> I I've got uh, I've got one to start here. I'm glad that this didn't actually happen to me, but uh, in my senior year of football, I was having some uh, serious gastrointestinal uh, issues going on, and we were against we were playing against Cascade Leavenworth, and we were just getting dusted. <laughs> So, was that your senior year? That was my senior year. I remember that game. Yeah, yeah. Tanner was there. Eighty nine thirteen. Yeah, it wasn't. No, that was Cedar Crest. Not. Uh, not Yeah, it was like sixty nine something. Yeah, but it was a. It was a. We were getting dusted, and um, but my stomach, my stomach turned about halfway through the game, and pretty much the entire second half, I was telling, I was playing right guard and. My right tackle, Jake Estrella, who was my my right hand man at the time, uh, I was just telling him every single play that I, I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna s myself, and I was I was worried it was gonna happen. I, I I thought the entire second half I was done for, and I was about to leave the game multiple times because I but I knew it was gonna be one that was I'd be leaving the game permanently if I if I left. So. Um, we were wearing like light colored pants too. Like it, there's no hiding that. And so, um, that is definitely my most, it, it, it didn't end up being the most embarrassing, but after the game I had to go, you know, my family's there, my girlfriend's there. I had to go 
just run over to all of them and be like, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta use the restroom, and I sprinted off, barely made it, and uh, so yeah, that's my embarrassing story. Um, yeah, I got a few that are in the hopper here. I guess I'll go with one that's maybe a little more uh, real <laughs> instead of some of my more fun ones. How about this? Uh, junior year of high school playing varsity basketball uh, for reasons uh, above my knowledge I went from being a starter to not really playing at all um, and so after sitting on the bench for I think three straight games or so after being a starter uh, coach puts me in the game against Lakewood I'll never forget Puts me in the game against Lakewood. I get in there and he says, like, go shoot, go score. Like, all right, coach, great. I love scoring. I do that all the time. I'd love to. And uh, I go in. I instantly get the ball on the baseline. It's probably about, like, free throw range, you know, maybe 16, 18-foot jump shot on the baseline. Shoot it. Rims in and out. I've been in for about 45 seconds. I get pulled out. Coach says, you missed that one. I told you to make buckets. I didn't play again the rest of my high school career. I got I got two quick ones. So both are involving baseball, but in different roles. So it was seventh grade. I was playing on a select team, and we were in a tournament uh, somewhere out in eastern Washington. I was playing first base, and I had to pee so bad that entire inning. I mean, it was hurting. It's one of those you're just like – trying to hold your legs together awful and of course a line drive gets hit right towards my direction i dive off to my right side make an awesome catch but because i moved out of that stiff stance end up pissing my pants mid-dive <laughs> if peeing your pants is cool yeah. consider tanner miles davis and then and then the second one was in a coaching role when i was coaching for the ballard beavers oh i love this what up um so I was coaching, I was playing third base coach, and one of the kids hits a, just a, he smacked just a hard, like, one hopper right at me, and first one comes at me, and somehow, timing was right, I snagged it one-handed, looks super cool, the parents are clapping, I'm getting a little bit of hype, everyone's all excited. Seriously, it's the next pitch, the kid do, does the same thing again. And I try to be cool again, and I get smacked right in the chest, and everyone just starts laughing at me. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow. Talk about going from high to high to a, a big low. Okay, next question. That was a good question, Vinny. Really hurt my soul, but you're uh, good at that, Vin. One of our number one fans, Abby, is asking us, which NFL QB would you never let date your daughter? Thank you, big fan. Heart emoji. Which QB would I never let date my daughter? Russell Wilson for me. That guy's a douche. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. Steve Harvey loves that answer. Um, which QB would I never let date my daughter? That's a tough one. Probably all of them, but... Hmm. Who's the most hateable guy? Sean Watson. That's another good answer. <laughs> Give me a chance. <laughs> Give me a chance to come up with something. Give me one more chance. 
Can I go? You know what? I'm just gonna since I can't come up with anything, I'm gonna go with a different answer. It's not a quarterback, although he did have uh, snaps at quarterback in the playoffs. I'm gonna go Christian McCaffrey, and I'm only gonna say that because he was one of those guys that when he was coming out of college had kind of the uh, I'll call it racist tag that they said type of guy that you want to date your daughter. <laughs> Which it was translation that he's a white running back. So I'm going to go the opposite and say uh, I don't want him to date my daughter because that dude sucks. He's a great football player, but much like Russell Wilson, Christian McCaffrey, weird dude. And he did play quarterback for the 49ers in the playoffs this past year. So I'm going to count it for me. Um, I'm going to say I don't. he's not a starter right now, but I'm just going to say him anyway because I, I just hate the guy. I don't know what it is. Andy Dalton. Ginger, I just, just dislike. Enough said. Good answer. Good yeah. answer. Always have. Um, I don't. I don't know what it is. I'm sure he's a great dude, but for me, no. If my daughter dated him, it'd be the at the door. So yeah. My dad cool. would love that answer. He hates Andy Dalton with a passion. Yeah, for Mike, that's a really good answer. Honestly, yeah. I yeah. I hear exactly what you're saying, and I agree entirely. I, he's probably not a bad dude at all. Has nothing to do with them being a bad guy. No. You just want to hit him in the face. Exactly. All right. Well, we are running out of time, but we're not running out of time for Big Shane Mo, who has two more questions for us, and these are good questions, and we'll end the show with these. Unlike the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible questions, guys. No, just kidding. Shane has two good questions for you guys. Let's start off with the first one. Having already talked about the players in the draft and the guys that you're most hyped about, excluding quarterback, as it is the most important, if you could pick one position for the Seahawks to draft and have an immediate positive impact for the team, what position would it be and why? All right, I'll start this one off. Um, Most important position for me... Good question, Shane. Yeah, great question, Shane. Most important position for me to to, uh, sure up is going to be D-line. Last year teams were running wild on the uh, on the Seahawks and for years now we haven't been able to get any kind of pass rush generated so I think that that's going to be the uh, really a, a point of concern for for the Seahawks and they need to really address it so I would I would start there um, and just just for a, a little bonus I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a guy <laughs> as well that I think would be a good good piece that maybe you haven't heard of since we, we've kind of done this every week with with uh, these questions. So I'm going to go with um, Kalijah Cansey. He is uh, from Pitt. He's an interior defensive lineman. Uh, he is being compared to Aaron Donald. Same, uh, same college. And there's really, outside of the fact that he's a stud, but there's really one big reason why you know he's a stud and that's because he wears a single-digit jersey as a 300-pound D-lineman. Love that. the number eight. That's how you know the guy is a freaking dude. So um, you go draft Kalijah Kansi, number 20 pick in the first round. He's going to be a first-round pick, mark my words. And uh, and go sure up your D-line, your interior, and he's going to be a pass-rushing threat and and a run-stopping run, uh, guy. So there's my uh, that's my take right there. 
Uh, yeah, so I'll get to my answer in a second, but to piggyback off of what Nigel just said, I have a D lineman because I also think that that's obviously a place of concern. I got a name to look for on this Seahawks draft, and his name is Keon White. They have him as an edge. He's out of Georgia Tech, 6'5", 285. I think he's more of a 3-4 DN type. He's an edge, but I think he's more of a 3-4 DN. Got him at 6'5", 285. He didn't run at the Combine, although I got it on good authority from Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network. He's going to run a 4-6-ish when he runs at his pro day. Also wore the number six. Mm, Dude. Uh, This guy screams Seahawk, though. He started out his college career as a tight end at Old Dominion. I think he's 205 pounds coming out of high school. He's now 285, so he's put on another 80 pounds. Athlete. Athlete guy, edge rusher. He's going to run well. He's got... uh, He just seems like a Seahawk guy. He used to play a different position. Now he plays this position. He's an athlete. That's my guy to watch. A lot of mock drafts have him going... Oh, sorry. A lot, of, a lot of mock drafts have him going late first round. He's mostly a first round grade. Maybe he slips into the second round, but uh, that's the guy that I'm thinking for a kind of sneaky, sneaky D line, three four edge technique type of guy. This guy, I'm looking at his profile right now. We know he's a lunch bell guy. You want to know what his major is right now at Georgia Tech? Majoring in building construction. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. See, okay, there you go. He's a bologna sandwich guy, people. He's going to be a Seahawks I told you, guy. Keon White, don't be surprised when the Seahawks take him. Uh, but for my actual answer uh, for position that needs to be filled, it, it's got to be center. It's got to be center. And Nigel and I have talked about this before, and I feel pretty strongly about this, that obviously we need interior offensive linemen. We already have the two tackles that are rookies. I think there's a lot of value in getting that third piece that can be part of your young core on your offensive line. And I think the center position obviously fits really well into that. Now, it's not the strongest class for centers. At least that's what they're saying. Um, So I got two names that uh, stand out right away. First one, Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin. 6'6" little tall for a center to be honest but i know nigel is going to agree with me on this you think big 10 wisconsin offensive lineman he's graded at right now is probably at best a second round pick probably third round pick right in that kind of range so that's that's a guy who instantly comes to mind there's a couple other guys at center that are also jumping off uh Steve Avila out of TCU. Obviously, TCU had a great season. And I think the number one center on most people's draft boards is John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. All these guys, though, just like most centers, they have versatility. They've played guard or center in their time. Some of them have played guard like their last season, but they've played center at some point. But they obviously have that kind of versatility that they can move any place in that interior line, I think the Seahawks have to make a move on a guy like that at some point. And most of these guys, I think John Michael Schmitz, at least from what I'm seeing from mock drafts, is more of a 
maybe late first rounder if people really like him. Probably more likely an early second rounder. So maybe that's not in the cards for the Seahawks, especially if they do things like what I've been saying, you know, like drafting the quarterback or maybe even Bijan, you know. But I definitely like Joe Tipman is is my guy is my guy to watch, especially just because I don't know. I got a I got a place in my heart for Wisconsin offensive linemen because they just they just grow them differently out there in Wisconsin. Like, just seems like the type of guy that we're gonna look back on the draft and be like, "Oh, you're telling me you're telling me offensive lineman from Wisconsin that was the second or third round draft pick ends up being a ten year starter who's like maybe he's not all pro every year, but he's definitely one of the better guys." I, I don't know. That's yeah. so. I think center's definitely definitely a position need, and I think there's guys that aren't. It might be a blessing in disguise that they're not rated super high. So you just get them in like the second or third or maybe even fourth round. And you find a guy that can be your starter for the next four or five years at center. Definitely need to find one. I'd say there's going to be... There's there's a guy in the Big Ten that's gonna be, that can be a starting center for the Seahawks. Guaranteed. Yeah. Whether it's one of those that you mentioned or... Some other. Yeah, there's, there's a there's a few that I'm looking at here. Like they're they're out there, so go get one of them. All right, and the last question we got is targeted for Nigel. You guys went over Bobby Wagner's release last episode, discussing whether or not we should pursue, try to pursue him, knowing that we need linebacker help, given Bobby's age but continue dominance at the position, who would you say has the fattest dump truck ass in the NFL? <laughs> the floor is yours, Nigel. <laughs> Shane wants to know your yeah. answer. Wow. Not mine. Certified CDLs going on. Dump trucks. Huh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll add that sound bite in there. <laughs> Good. Well, hmm. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> There's my answer. Big old dump truck. I have no. I have no fucking clue. Is that what we call a hook again? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we might we might have found the recap for for next yeah, week. The recap for next week. I got to do some research on who has the uh, the biggest dump truck in the in the NFL. All right, guys. Well, you you heard it here. That's uh, that that's what we call a hook. You tune in next week, and you'll find out Nigel's answer: who has the the biggest dump truck in the league. So, boys, it's time to punch that time card. It's time to clock out. Let's call it a night. It's 1.30 in the morning, so that's a good time to clock out. Thanks for listening, y'all. See ya. See ya. Rabble, rabble, rabble.